beautiful new sounds of Rod Simba and the Regulators. I told you the new music was coming. I couldn't wait any longer. He said to me on the... Hey. Oh, and then the bass. Boom, 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 boom. That is the new hit from Rod Simba and the Regulators, the new song. For whatever this podcast is eventually going to be called, we're still finalizing the name. Probably the Left Go Show, but I'm still digging it either way. Rod, Regulators, you guys are awesome. I appreciate that was live music with real instruments, and it fit more of my swag. Now I'm feeling all groovy and calm, and I'm feeling good. You know, I am the MLB Adam Schefter. I am breaking news with Bryce Harper. That was amazing. But the weekend of the Combine was absurd. It's it's a weekend where we've spent months going, what matters is what's on tape and in the eye in the sky and not about running a 40. And then a guy runs a 40 in like 4-3 and we explode and we say, tear it up, he's a top 10 pick. But uh, a good show, good, good, good coming. We had uh, Nate Burleson who talked about everything from maybe it is uh, Big Ben, and I'm about to go into that in a second, and not A.B. We talked about uh, Jason Witten, and he kind of threw his name. He didn't kind of. He threw his name in the ring to replace him for Monday Night Football and, and talked about a bunch of stuff in the NFL. And then Connor Rogers of Stick to Football Podcast came in here, and I sort of downloaded some information about where is the draft world right now? What do they believe is going to happen at number one? Who is the elite? players. He's, he kind of named 11 guys that are seen as the elite crop in this year's NFL draft. And again, I'm going to have him and Matt Miller in studio next Wednesday. We're, that'll come out next Thursday. And that is going to be me asking every question. So I'm probably going to put out a form at the end of this week to ask what questions do you want me to ask those guys. But I also think I'm going to play the role of GM and try and figure out, okay, if I'm the Jets at three, where do I go? You know, what do I do at four? Which wide receiver would you take number one? That's going to be a good time. It's one of our most listened to podcasts of all time was the stick to football Sims and Lefko crossover. It should be good. Now, I need to have every week I went back and I listened to the old podcast. I'm just going to tell you, homies, uh, how I do this now. And I realized I talked for like 20 minutes before I got to our interview with David Deal and then Phil Sims. I'm going to try and keep it tighter. And if I'm going to go on a rant or anything like that, a monologue, I only want to do one thing and discuss the rest with my guests. I'm trying to make it a good listening podcast overall. And I need to admit that I'm changing my mind about something. And a lot of it is because of what I'm seeing, how people are reacting to this Antonio Brown stuff. So you guys know that I have been against Antonio Brown and his actions for quite some time now. Um, But as this story has played out, my player's podcast sense has been activated. And and right now, I'm going to be honest, I'm Team AB. And I know that doesn't make sense to a lot of people. But let me give the background where we currently stand and explain why I'm worried. So where it currently stands is that three different national reporters have put out the teams that are possibly interested in AB. Mike Silver of NFL Network has come out and said, the Saints and the Raiders. Adam Schefter has come out and said, Washington, the Titans, and the Raiders. Ian Rappaport came out Monday morning and said, Cardinals, Broncos, and that has been refuted, and the Raiders. First thing, do we see a trend? Three different national reporters all said the Raiders, 
I'm going to tell you right now, the Raiders are the likely landing spot. Three first-round picks. Maybe they use the last one to to get A.B. We've talked before, John Gruden's obsession with veteran receivers, and it's okay to be obsessed with A.B. He's a Hall of Famer. It makes a lot of sense. But if you take away the Broncos, as they've apparently denied it, the other teams, Saints, Washington, Titans, Cardinals. Saints would be great. But I still think the Raiders are the likely leader. When the timeline has a speed bump on March 17th. March 17th is when a $2.5 million bonus kicks in. For whatever team Antonio Brown is on, on March 17th, it's March 14th as I record this, so we're 13 uh, days away. That is the day that whoever team he's on owes him $2.5 million. This is part of Antonio Brown's leverage. you got to get the trade done soon so that the Steelers don't pay him that bonus. In the meantime, I think it's been clear to everybody that Antonio Brown wants to be a distraction to get moved already. He's on Instagram playing uh, games against high school kids. Going to be honest, not a distraction, just in the media. But it's the interview with Darlington on ESPN, and it's going on the shop, again though, that was recorded a few weeks ago, that's put him at the forefront of the news, and he's saying things that would cause a team to want to move on. That's his strategy. Solid PR. Get it done so that you don't have to deal with this anymore. But I'm worried about one thing that he said. Not for PR, I think he's either getting bad advice or he doesn't know the extent of what's going on. And it was this quote from the Jeff Darlington interview on ESPN. Bro, listen, I don't even have to play football if I don't want, bro. I don't even need the game. You know what I'm saying? I don't need to prove nothing to anyone. If, I, if they want to play, they're going to play by my rules. If not, I don't need to play. You want the game now? No, I, don't, I, I, I mean, okay? I, obviously I want the game, but I don't need the game. It's a different. You know what I'm saying? I don't need to play for no one. Like, I'm happy you see this. It's paid off cash. I don't owe no one. Mm-hmm. I'm a millionaire, bro. I'm an entrepreneur. Like, I don't have to prove no one anything. And I understand what he's saying, and I agree with part of what he's saying. And when he said, look at this, I've already paid it off, he's showing his, like, enormous mansion. What scares me is not not that this is going to scare off other teams because they're going to think that he doesn't need the game. Antonio Brown is so freaking competitive that he's going to absolutely fight for anybody. But I don't think that A.B. realizes that if he sits out, it will cost him more money than he realizes. And if he does, I apologize, but I don't think everyone else does. If A.B. decides to sit out for the Steelers... That big-time contract that he had, it was like the $22 million, he's got to repay 11.4 of it. By the way, that $2.5 million roster bonus that he's going to get on March 17th, he'd have to repay that too. That means that he'd have to pay back 13.9 of the $22 million. That's 63% of the number that everyone says is that big of a deal. That's my worry for A.B., I don't need my players spending all this, excuse me, spending all this cash thinking it's going to be theirs, and then all of a sudden they owe back more than 60% of their check. My concern, though, what I'm realizing is that everyone in the media, and this is fans too, but everyone in the media, they all want to be Antonio Brown's agent. 
They all want to be his manager, his PR person, his crisis person, but no one is listening to AB. They're saying that the mustache should come off and the interviews should stop and that his solution should be silence. And I understand. You're probably right. But now we can learn from his issues if we ever choose to listen. What I'm realizing is that everyone's too focused going. They see him on camera and they go, I mean, look at this mustache. They got to shave the mustache and they don't hear a word he says. Or they see him on camera and they go, I mean, why is he doing another interview? He shouldn't be doing another interview. He should be being the good soldier and sit back, whatever. But he's talking and no one's listening. They all want to be his PR person and they're not listening to the message. Antonio Brown goes on to the shop. The episode that LeBron James has, has Anthony Davis and Jamie Foxx and Meek Mill and everybody. I mean, it's it was a great episode. I'm going to be honest. I really enjoyed it. And HBO pumped out two clips onto their social media. One clip about Antonio Brown being the sixth round pick that's now deemed a distraction. And another clip about his argument with Mike Tomlin where he said, you can just go home. You're beat up. You can go home. But for some reason, HBO didn't put out the clip that truly illustrated why we're currently in a mess. And that clip is about Antonio Brown's battle with Big Ben that started the week in Denver. And I thought it was the most illuminating of everything he said. Oh, yeah, the dude called me out. We lose a game. He's like, yeah, AD should have ran the better route. Why would, he, why would Ben do that? That's the type of guy he is. He feel like he the owner. Bro, you threw this shit to the D-line, man. How the fuck I'm going to So it all talked about the Denver throw. And that was a pivotal point of the season. But you could hear he said that's the kind of guy he is. The level of frustration that has frayed between Antonio and Ben has reached irreconcilable differences. And I totally said that word wrong, but don't judge me on it. I don't care. And differences. That's embarrassing. But what I'm saying is it all goes back to that game. So I started looking at that game and I wanted to see what happened. And I'm wondering now why we didn't make a bigger deal about Big Ben throwing Antonio Brown under the bus. I read articles after that Denver game. I went back and looked them up that said that we should appreciate Big Ben being a leader. There were articles that said this is what the two-time Super Bowl champion is supposed to do, holding Pete's f- people's feet to the fire. Here's what he said after the game. Big Ben talked about how Juju was amazing all day, and he wished that he called that play for Juju. Then he threw Antonio Brown under the bus, quote, I can't tell if you would have caught it or not, but he did, speaking about the defensive lineman, undercut Antonio. Who knows what would have happened? I told A.B., you have to come in the flat. You can't drift in the end zone. Those undercuts can't happen. Hey, Ben, you got intercepted by Shelby Harris, a defensive tackle that dropped back into coverage. You cannot undercut a defensive tackle. 
He's literally at the point that is closest to the ball at the snap and took a step back, and you're blaming Antonio Brown for not going underneath him. I didn't even realize that. When I saw it, I just said, what a dumb decision by Big Ben. I did not realize that he threw Antonio Brown under the bus. And what happened after that game, people? Just kick-started a three-game losing streak that pretty much kicked the Pittsburgh Steelers out of the playoffs. And let's say Big Ben wants to put it all about that one play, saying, you know, if Antonio Brown undercuts him and he catches that touchdown, we're going to the playoffs. Really? Because in that three-game losing streak, do we remember what else happened? I remember what Antonio Brown did. Antonio Brown went against the Chargers in that primetime game and had 10 catches for 154 yards and a touchdown. A.B. didn't fall off. But you know what happened the game after that? It was that Raiders game where Big Ben played the first quarter, said, oh, no, I'm going to sit out the second and third quarter and tried to come back like frickin' John Wayne in the fourth, but it was too late and the Steelers lost to the Raiders. That Raiders game is pretty much the reason the Steelers are we're not in the playoffs. It's the reason Le'Veon Bell walking out that door, Antonio Brown is pissed off, and Big Ben sitting there going... The silence from Ben Roethlisberger right now is deafening. But I thought the most interesting part of Antonio Brown on the shop was what happened afterwards. And I'm going to need you to go online and watch this clip. I have it on Sims and Lefko Instagram. But it was the reaction to what he said here. I need to give you a better ball. But it's like in the league, you're going to have a guy from the team that be like, well, you can't say that. I need you to get this out there like, but it's like, why I got to be at me? At least ask the, ask the nigga how you feel first. Let <laughs> alone. Right there, if it don't matter how I feel, then fuck it, then right now, you know what So he said that the Steelers, after something like this, a huge game in which the quarterback throws his wide receiver under the bus after he played very, very average and threw an interception to a defensive lineman, he said that Steelers came up to him, the organization, and told him to be quiet and say that he's wrong, but that not a single person asked, why are you upset? Tomlin didn't ask why you're upset. The coaching staff didn't ask why he's upset. The marketing, the PR, the social media, the everybody. Nobody asked, well, Antonio Brown, why are you upset? They just told him to shut his mouth. LeBron is laughing harder than he's laughed on the entire episode, and Jamie Foxx is in the room. Do you know how hard you have to laugh? Do you know how funny something must be if you're laughing harder than a Jamie Foxx joke? They're looking at him. And they're realizing, wow, you have no control. You have nothing. And A.B. looked around in that clip and he looks angry and confused because here he is thinking he's sharing his pain with athletes and actors that are going to understand where he's coming from. And they don't understand. They have no idea because none of them are in a situation that Antonio Brown is in. Antonio Brown is a Hall of Famer. That's been working, apparently, in lockstep with a man that shares an ego the same size as his. And it's completely frayed. And it's broken apart. And Big Ben is throwing Antonio Brown under the bus. And we're all taking the bait. And because Big Ben is being quiet, we are hearing nothing. It's a one-sided attack on AB. Should Antonio Brown lay low? Yes. 
Should he do more interviews? He has done more than enough, and it is very obvious. But he's also trying to tell us that the Steelers might not be perfectly run organization that we have deemed it to be over these last few decades. If it is true that the GM of the Steelers is correct, that Ben Roethlisberger is the adult in the room with 52 kids, then it's time we had a parent-teacher conference. Who do children emulate? Who do they learn from? What are they a product of? The parents. The adults. So maybe we got to this point with A.B. because he's been learning from Big Ben all along. Maybe he's just been emulating his quarterback's actions. The laissez-faire attitude. The what I say goes. Really, Big Ben kind of helped create this A.B. But that's just my take. Now, let's welcome in Nate Burleson. And what do you know, I went back and looked at 2003 NFL Combine and the man with the highest vertical in his draft class, 42 and a half inches, that's right, Nate Burleson. Nate, how are you, my friend? I'm good. I appreciate it, man. Appreciate the intro. You know, these, these, these old legs used to have some hops in them, fam. 42 and a half. I mean, yeah. were we going between the legs dunk, too? Is that what you're capable of? Listen, between the legs dunk, I had the two-hand Dominique windmill. I even oh, shoved my arm at the rim like Vince Carter at one. So you know your boy had crazy hops. That's unbelievable. Uh, what, what is it like to watch the combine now being so far removed and knowing what it means to these kids? You know, it's, it's, it's fun to watch it because the guys have gotten so much faster, so much stronger. And, the, you know, to be honest, they're better football players. And that's the way the game is supposed to be. You know, I remember in 2003 getting there and I'm seeing some of the best players in the world and all the guys that I've heard about, you know, Carson Palmer, Charles Rogers, Andre Johnson, Anquan Bolden. And I'm looking at these dudes, and I'm like, oh, snaps. There he is. Now it's time for me to measure up against them. In my group, we had Andre Johnson. And I knew I'd run a decent 40, and I knew I'd jump a good vertical. And he didn't want to test. And he didn't need to test because he was that damn good. Right. And I remember I did my broad jump, and this is after the vertical. So at this point, I'm like the dude with the hops. And right. I remember him like pulling off his sweats, and, like, getting competitive and being like, look, I said I wasn't testing, but I'm about to do this broad jump. Because he wanted to prove everybody, like, this, this Nate dude got hops, but he ain't got hops like me. And sure enough, he wasn't lying. That dude went out there and leaped a good jump. But um, it's good. People call it the underwear Olympics, you know, um, and, and some of it is because it's guys with the shirt off right. running fast and lifting weights. But I think majority of it, because the NFL does such a good job inviting guys, majority of these individuals, it will translate. Like, mm. D.K. Metcalf, I mean, come on, fam. Like, what, what's going on with the game? Like, what are they feeding these kids? This dude went out there and blew the world away. It's funny. I'm going to mention this later with my interview with Connor Rogers from Stick to Football, but everyone's forgetting, you know, D.K. Metcalf's uncle was Eric Metcalf. And if you don't know that name, then you don't know the history of the NFL. And, and it's funny. Sometimes I feel like the only bloodlines that get mentioned is if you're a Bosa or if your dad played quarterback, too. And what, what I started hearing that he, he, his family was defensive linemen in the NFL and wide receivers in the NFL. Oh, no, there's a track record here. This might not just be some huge dude that's, that's barreling down at 4 3 
Exactly, and you're, you're right about that. It's either the Boses or the Mannings, and then after that, the conversation kind of stops. You know, uh, Terry, Terrence, and, of course, Eric Metcalf is uh, who you just mentioned. It's funny, you said there's a track record. Now, there's literally track records. Eric Metcalf was a speedster on the track, so the fact that, you know, he has uh, people within his bloodline that could teach him how to run that really fast 40 uh, to shoot out low with trajectory and then extend your legs high and run through the line and blow everybody away with a 4-3-3. You know, it runs deep with me because Eric Metcalf settled in Seattle. And my junior year, I ran on this track team, the Seattle mm-hmm. Express. And I was a full-time three-sport athlete. And summer times for me were for basketball. And he was like, Nate, listen, man, you're really good at hurdles. Come out for our track program. I'm like, man, I'm not running track in the summer, bro. Mm. What do you think this is like Prefontaine? That's my he's free like, nah, time. just come out and check out some of the competition around the world. And I went to um, a track meet, an in- invitational in, in Texas. And that's when I saw real speed for the first time. Like, it's cool to run in Seattle against yes. pretty fast dudes. But when you're running against the best from Florida, the best in Texas, the best in Cali, that's when I realized, oh, I better take these spikes off and put these cleats on for the rest of my life because, yes. I mean, I'm fast, but I ain't fast, fast. No, 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 no. Uh, so before we had you on, I was kind of ranting about Antonio Brown and how I flipped to his side. I would say that for a long time, I found myself being pro-Odell and because of that anti-Antonio Brown, because for years I was going, why is he not getting in trouble, but Odell is being eviscerated. But now I'm watching everybody make a sideshow out of Antonio Brown and I'm realizing that nobody's listening to a single word he's saying. We're commenting about his appearance or I I can't believe he's still talking and I'm going, there's a lot of truth to what he's saying and I'm curious if you see any of what I see. If you slow down the propellers of the helicopter that he flew in on going into training camp, if you can keep your eyes off of his mustache or some people saying a haircut that looks like Coolio, hmm. if you quiet what might be distracting you because you're not used to a flamboyant, charismatic, uh, soon-to-be Hall of Fame wide receiver, if you just pay attention to his words, he's saying something that we all identify with. That's working with somebody that you might love, that you have an appreciation for, but the relationship has grown so strained that it just isn't beneficial to be in anymore. And I remember when all this was going down and I was on TV and, you know, me working for the network and CBS, you know, people think I protect the shield. I don't protect the league. Like, that's not my thing. The league doesn't define me. They may cut my check, but they don't define me. More than anything, I protect players – in their perspective. So I'm trying to hit it from both sides. All right, here's what Big Ben's thinking. Big Ben's thinking, I'm the man. I'm a soon-to-be Hall of Famer. You're a wide receiver. I'm the captain of the ship. As we go, I go. All right, cool. Antonio's saying, okay, but you're only as good as the wilds you throw to. And I'm the best in the game. Even when they said I fell off this year, I put a 15 TD. So when you talk to me, talk to me with a level of respect versus talking to me like you would talk to Juju, who just got here. Now, as Antonio starts to open up a little bit more and becomes transparent about uh, some of the issues, I don't think it's really surprising. And this isn't a bash Big Ben, but if you really pay attention to some of the things that both of these guys have done, and I followed them closely because I played against them and now I cover them, they're both tremendous talents. They both should be in the Hall of Fame, especially if Antonio Brown stays on the path he's on. Antonio, he gets competitive. He yells and screams. 
he's flamboyant. He got the chains, the clothes, the commercials, the money, the flash, the pizzazz, all that. But at the end of the day, he do work his ass off. I mean, I don't know if you follow AB. I encourage everybody out there to follow him on every social media platform. The one thing that fascinates me most about AB is he'll go on vacation. He'll bring his nutritionist. Yep. He'll bring his trainer. He'll, he'll find a weight room. He'll train by himself. He'll train with other athletes. He'll train with quick kids. And we're talking about dude chilling with his own kids but still taking time to work on his craft. And I will tell you right now, not every guy does that. Mm-mm. Your favorite player doesn't do that. Now, on the flip side, Big Ben, he works his butt off. He don't work like Antonio Brown. Big Ben may he may be passionate, but sometimes his passion doesn't come across the same as the A-B's. I'd rather take a guy that you might occasionally describe as a jerk and, and say he's too passionate about the game than a guy that sometimes is emotionally disconnected. And that's how I, sometimes I describe Big Ben. Big Ben, he's passionate, fired up. Sometimes he hits you with a tiger fist, and you're like, damn, that's that dude. Can't nobody throw a back shoulder like him. That loft on that fade ball is tremendous. That connection with him and Antonio, is, that's the truth. But then there's times where he'll walk in the locker room and say, well, you know, maybe I ain't got it. I don't know, I don't know. Maybe I ain't got it. You, mm. you guys know what you're talking about. Or then he'll start doing it. He'll do a radio show in the offseason and say, oh, you know, I'm thinking about retiring. Two years in a row. And everybody's like, whoa, 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 Big Ben. Whoa, we want you. We need you. I don't know if it's fishing for compliments or I don't know if it's him just being honest. Mm. But at the end of the day, like, Antonio Brown's not saying that in the locker room after the game. Hey, maybe I ain't got it. Or you no. don't think about retirement. The only thing Antonio Brown re- said recently is, I don't need the game, which you would hope every athlete says that at some point because they've established themselves enough as a brand and, and have, have enough money to say, I don't need it. So for me, like, when you start looking at, when you pull the curtain back a little bit, and you look at quote-unquote antics or things said, things done, if you really break it down, some of that passive-aggressive stuff that Big Ben was doing, it might get on your nerves a little bit more than whatever the flamboyant, over-the-top diva things you might describe as Antonio Brown doing. All now, I ben, ever Big hear, ben said, Big Ben no. said when this audience went down, the week it came out, he said, well, if something happened at practice, I wasn't there. I didn't see it. Mm. Which we know something happened. So just say, we're going to keep everything in-house. We'll handle it behind closed doors. Don't act like we don't know what's going on. And then what made me even more upset in that same conversation, he said, and, you know, I, 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 I tried to reach out to Antonio Brown. He hasn't mm-hmm. called me back. That's the most passive-aggressive thing you could do. To the mm-hmm. world listening, now the perception is, damn, A.B. done went AWOL. He won't even call his QB back. So instead of just keeping it in-house, being like, that's my brother, I'm going to talk to him behind closed doors, we'll figure it out, you go start dropping little subtle details about what or what may not be happening within the conversation, communication between the two, which ultimately drove Antonio Brown crazy. He's like, man, what am I doing? This is a high school, but I'm the best receiver you ever had. What are we doing here? You know what I'm saying? 100%. I I say this all the time. I'd rather you insult me to my face than play the politics and get me in trouble somewhere down the line and me realize months from now that you've been laying these traps that I've been stepping in. That's what it feels like to me. And and his silence, Ben's silence, is allowing him to kind of get away with everything right now. And and it is. And the silence is deafening when you really pay attention to it. And here's the thing. There's some people that work closely with that organization closely fam and they say big ben has been the biggest diva in this organization for years now i'm just a former player i can't go out on a limb and say that on tv because i can't corroborate that and i'm not in the field enough i'm not an insider where i'm going to call and try to investigate it 
But if somebody says that to me, right. my first response is, I can see that. 100%. I can't say whether it's true or false. I just say I can see that. Now, here's the thing. With all that said, though, be careful what you ask for, for both of these guys. Uh, Larry if Fitzgerald fan, narrated you're, like, you're right. Larry Fitzgerald big, came out and said, you know, he needs to – I don't think he understands how he good he has it. What you said, maybe no one's thrown a better deep ball in this league than Big Ben Roethlisberger. Maybe no one's had the toe tap on the sideline maybe better than Antonio Brown. But sometimes with great it. thing comes frustration. And I think, you know, nine years. I know a lot of, a lot of regular relationships that can't handle half that. <laughs> facts facts and if you're antonio saying you know time is up time to move on yeah you better hope you land somewhere where you're playing with a potential hall of famer because yeah. if you're not and the system isn't for you to get the ball every other play you might not be that happy yes. within that system now on the flip side big ben if you're sitting back saying all right it's cool like ab's the man but we don't necessarily need him we'll move on we got juju a lot of Juju's success was because he's playing next to a true number one. Now, right. don't get me wrong, Juju's a beast, and he will continue to be a beast. But I know what it's like playing next to Randy Moss and Calvin Johnson. Like, being a number two in this league, bro, it's it's cake when you're facing mm. second-tier and third-tier DBs and A.B. is taking all the attention. Now you you also have James Conner in there instead of Le'Veon Bell. So this this team, in a matter of months, is dramatically different. And if you're Big Ben, wouldn't you want to try to make it work versus act like it ain't yeah. a big deal? Uh, speaking of next steps and possibilities, would you like to officially put your name in for the Monday Night Football gig? I saw that you did it on Twitter, and I'd just like to have some audio of it. I believe that you in the booth would be fantastic. I saw you on pregame of the Super Bowl. Nailed it. I came up to you during the media night where you're casually standing next to Bill Belichick and got good answers. Nate, I think you're capable of everything. I'm just curious if you want Monday Night Football. No, I appreciate it. Um, I, first time I've ever spoke about this. Hell yeah, I'll take the job. And I, I would try to change the game and, 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 and create a relationship between Monday Night Football, the traditionalists that watch it, that love it, that appreciate it, um, and bridge that to this younger generation that really talk different, walk di- different, act different, dress different. And I feel like I can do that. You know, I came in in 2003 and I left in the beginning of this new era of athletes. So. That's what I do every day. That's what we do every day, bro. I'm, mm. I'm, I'm preaching to the choir. We have yeah. a certain language that we speak where um, if you're 60, you can appreciate us, and if you're 16, you can appreciate us. So that's what I would bring to Monday Night Football. The only thing is um, is I have too many jobs. You know, I, <laughs> so I work many. Monday for CBS. Well, you're not and... doing anything Monday night. That was probably one of your free times. <laughs> you're right. That might be my free time. But listen, you never know. I don't know what they're going to do this year, next year, um, but – you know, the game is about evolving, and uh, hopefully I continue to do that with NFL Network and CBS. Um, if ESPN is in the plans in the future, then I'll be open for it. Um, this year I was able, in a matter of 21 days, during the month of December with Good Morning Football, um, the CBS NFL Today, and then the two games I did for Fox, I was able to, to work for three of the major networks in a 21-day span. And that was me just giving my hello to the world, saying, uh, here's who I am. Here's how versatile I can be, um, and here's what you have to look forward to in the future. Mm, I love that. I think what a, a lot of people would really help their brains, too, is 
uh, we all grind and everyone's grind is different and their own paradigm of their grind is how hard they work and we all want time off. But there's this weird supercharge, man, when you know you're building something and even if you're not seeing it right away and all your boys and all your families coming up to you and being like, I don't know why everyone doesn't see it yet. And you can look at them and go, it's, it's coming. It's coming. it's coming. And it's weird because y- you don't worry about time off. You, you don't need it. Now, we're eventually going to take it because we want to spend time with other people. But the grind is self-fulfilling. It almost motivates you more to be that tired. It's a beautiful thing. And I, I'm excited for what you're building, man. No, I appreciate that, man. And like I said, I'm preaching to the choir. We are able to meet in person for the first time this year and kind of rap and really connect. Yes. And I, I love it. Like one of the better things I've done all year, which is why I'm excited to get in the studio with you again. But also just watch you from a distance. Now that I know you and call you a friend um, and a colleague in this business and a peer, I see the grind as well. So it's always, it's always a confirmation that you're on the right track when you see people on the yeah. same freeway running just as fast as you. Uh, not a lot of people know where what direction this is going in. At least they think they do. Arizona Cardinals first pick. I was just talking with people where they said it is the the the, the worst kept secret. Arizona's going Kyler Murray at one, and I, I want to talk to you more though about how do you handle the egos involved? Does Steve Kime text Josh Rosen? and go, man, don't read anything? Does Cliff Kingsbury reach out and go, you're still our guy? What is Josh Rosen supposed to be doing right now? I- I'm thinking about the other chess pieces involved. How do you handle these fragile egos at this point? Yeah, I, th- I think with Josh Rosen, you have to have a face-to-face conversation with him. And while you're being honest, um, you also got to build him up and tell him, you know, you're not the first or last to be in this situation. Right. And not telling them what's going to happen, but have them understand that this is a crazy business. And when the draft comes, you could be traded because we want to go a certain direction. I will say this. Peter Schrager, early on, as soon as Kyler Murray um, was on the fence about playing baseball or football, right. he was like, I say he goes to Arizona. I'm like, you're crazy. And I started thinking back to last year's draft. We're sitting in Dallas. He walks in the day before and says, yo, I got a feeling the Browns are going to go number one, Baker Mayfield. I'm like, mm. I mean, I love Baker. I've been fighting for him all summer, but I don't even see that happening. He's like, I just feel like he won everybody over. At this point, there's no more decision to be made. And I'm like, that is crazy. Now you fast forward the entire year, another Heisen, another guy who was undersized, who didn't really get the proper buzz up until combine and then the draft. And I do feel like all of the Eagles involved – they understand. You know, we had uh, we had Cliff Kingsbury on our show. Peter was talking to him. And he kind of pressured him, pressured him, and he, he avoided a couple questions. He slipped and ducked, and then he did the dope rope, and he, and he was like, all right, well, look. Peter's like, what, what are you – what a rope with dope? Sorry. He's like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with that pick? And, he, and what are you going to do with Rosen? And he said, Rosen understands it's a business. Mm. Now, that's pretty telling. You know, he could have yeah. easily said, it's our guy. Like, no doubt. This is, who we, this is who we're rocking with. He was like, nah, we love Rosen. He knows how we feel about him, but he also understands his business. And if you're reading in between the lines, I say that's Kyler Murray going number one to the Arizona Cardinals. You got a Heisman winner handing the ball off to David Johnson and Larry Fitzgerald right off to the sunset trying to have the best year he can My uh, My left-go PR for Josh Rosen would be this. I would, in the time that I'm still there, 
completely befriend Larry Fitzgerald. And what I mean by that is I'm thrown with him. I'm going to camps with him. I am going to be so loyal. I might even create a joint Instagram account called Josh and Larry, where I just want to, I want the people of Arizona to always respect me. And I think the weird thing about Josh Rosen is we're still talking about him being this mercurial guy that's based in ego. And could he handle being a New England Patriot? What would he be like in the New York market? I think that you align yourself with a guy that everyone sees as the consummate professional. And by by being around him all the time, people will believe that you've now turned the page. Because I don't know why we still have these negative thoughts about Josh Rosen's personality, and he played a year in the NFL with no issue. With no issue and really no stability. None. Talk, that offensive line coach. was destroyed. Yeah, rookie coordinators, rookie head coach. I mean, they had issues on top of issues. Here's another thing. People were like, oh, man, I feel bad for Josh. And I just asked a tough situation. I'm like, what are you talking about, man? He's a multimillionaire. He's about to go somewhere else and play football. He could end up in New York backing up Eli Manning. He doesn't have to be in Arizona anymore. Right. So, I mean, for me, like, I don't don't get caught up in, like, especially guys that got paid. I know he's young, but still he got paid. Like, what's what's the bad thing? He's about to get traded somewhere, and he has another opportunity to prove himself. Like, all athletes been doing their whole lives, like, this is a good situation. So what you get traded? Like, you know, take take your take, take your pills and deal with it. Man. Uh, anything else in the NFL that you want to comment on? The only other story that I was going to bring up is every year I think we could argue that Bill Belichick is the coach of the year, and he never gets it. And I saw that he got an honor on Thursday that no one's going to talk about. So apparently he got the Game Ball Award from the Fritz Pollard Alliance for his commitment to diversity, for doing, quote, a very special job of leveling the playing field in diversity and inclusion in the NFL. And my big takeaway was... You know, we got court cases where people are fighting to show collusion. We have teams in which there are sons of coaches on every staff, uh, from Kubiak to Turner. And I'm not saying that those guys shouldn't be there. I'm just saying, hey, we got all that. And the guy that supposedly works so much that it's too hard to even comprehend has enough time to be the one fighting for the most inclusion in the NFL. So it can't be that hard to figure it out. But I thought that Bill Belichick deserved credit, and I think you understand understand what goes into this league and what doesn't get talked about sometimes no question i mean listen i I was always told um believe none of what you hear and half of what you see so there's stuff that you hear about that might not be going on in the league and there's stuff that you hear about that does and then there's stuff that you see and then there's stuff you don't see and i think the assumption is boston the market i mean they have their own misconceptions of that city but individuals that i talk to african-american players that play for the patriots I mean, Deion Branch is the prime example, one of my best friends on and off the field. And the first thing I did was pepper him with questions when we played in Seattle again. Like, what's it like, man? What, what is it like playing with Tom and Bill Belichick and Kraft organization? And he was like, it's family. And it wasn't him trying to fluff the organization. He was literally saying, like, yo, like, everybody is equal once we walk in. I mean, the approach is different, but Tom is the man. He got a little flavor to him. Bill Belichick, that's my dude. Everything that y'all see – that's not the same guy behind closed doors when it comes to family, the guys on the team, the people in the front office, the organization. Kraft is the man. He takes care of all his people. Like So for me, like I can only go by what people say that sure. I trust. And all of the individuals that I've spoke to, and that's white, black, other, they have all said the same thing about New England is 
that it's one of the best organizations, and that's deeper than football. Mm. Awesome. Nate, I'm excited to get you in here soon. We'll make time. I know you're busy. We'll create an eighth day to make it possible, but I appreciate you, man. (laughs) All right. Sounds good, bro. All right, man. Be well. Uh, Nate Burleson, uh, I don't even need to explain how much of a rising star he is. Uh, And I think the thing that I appreciate the most about him is there substance to the style and to the sizzle and to the swag. Uh, No one likes to critique people on TV more than me, uh, just because... Come on, man, that's my bag. And what's like, I, I think it's been very interesting to watch this last week. Everybody piling on Jason Witten. Uh, man, we knew after the first week it wasn't going to work out. And I think that the Cowboys actually got themselves uh, an interesting situation. Uh, you're bringing in Jason Witten now uh, to a locker room that I believe Dak and Zeke were going to try and lead. And now he's back. And uh, to watch those two interact will be interesting. But I think ESPN also found themselves in a very positive but now a very difficult situation because they they kind of got a free pass it wasn't working out they get to move on i think somebody like nate would be great uh, i saw the campaign from pat mcafee those are two of the young guys that see the business that are also super engaged online with social communities instagram twitter and they're able to bring an aspect to the broadcast that's very different of course i'm capable but i would have to do the joe tessa tour and it's not like i've done play-by-play on a national stage oh wait I'm just messing around. But seriously, if you want me to do the game, I'm down to do the game. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Holla, holla, holla. All right, let's go uh, now and talk with our main man, one part of the Stick to Football podcast, Connor Rogers, to figure out what he saw in his weekend in Indy. And now we are joined by one of the members of the Stick to Football podcast. He's been in Indianapolis the last few days, soaking up the sights and sounds of a medium-sized city that Peter King says is stuck in the 90s. Connor Rogers, how are you? That's a really good description. I I wouldn't call it medium-sized. Yeah? It's closer to petite. All right, so I'm getting right into it. The storyline that you left Indy going, that's what everyone's talking about right now, is what? What do we do with DK Metcalf? That's the number one, you think? For me, I'm... I can't find anyone that I love DK Metcalf. Yeah, great conversation because it's hard to find someone that thinks Kyler Murray isn't going first anymore. Like it's okay. almost a boring storyline at this point. Really, I'm bored of it. It's I just think, that pervasive. Like everyone really believes it. Lefko, we are almost at the point of this draft where it feels like we start at pick three because everybody I talk to believes the Niners will not move out of two if Nick Bosa is there. Mm. So if it's Kyler and Bosa, what the hell are the Jets doing at three? Wow, Jets back at number three, so looking I, for the future. I of guess franchise. that part's a storyline, but back to DK Metcalf. I mean, when you get a guy that profiles close to Julio Jones and Calvin yes. Johnson, you're sitting there saying, "Well, why did it take this long?" And the reason is he he fractured his neck this year, so it's Whoa. pretty fair. Yeah, it's a serious injury, but he's cleared. He's healthy. He's an absolute monster yes. at this point at around six three, two twenty eight. The as Sims would say, incredible body. Yeah. Like, and four, three, three, 27 yeah. reps, like 40 inch vertical. Yeah. It's insane. But, but now the big thing that everyone pointed to was the three cone. Yep. Seven, three, eight, three cone. Yep. Julio had a six, six, seven. And seven, three, eight's like rough. But as I was saying to you, if I draft DK Metcalf and I put him on the outside and I say, hey, 40 times, we're going to run as fast as you can. And if you're, you got one on one, no one's really going to stay in stride. We're going to lob it up. Yep. And if not, we're emptying it underneath. 
Totally. Like, is there anything to that, do you think? Well, I think the question is the one thing I asked was, how much do teams value DK Metcalf as a vertical guy and a manufactured touches guy? So screens, yes. bubble screens, anything like that. Even I, It's not a screen because there is nuance to the route, but a slant. Just have him go over the middle, maybe clear out and have him run drags. The point is, how valuable is he as just a deep threat mm. and a guy that can create after the catch? Which we've seen him... I mean, when you go back and watch the film before he got hurt, he cuts like a 190-pound running back. Okay. That's how sharp his cuts are. So then why was he so with bad the ball at the in cut? With the ball in his hands. Then why was he so bad at the three-cut? He, I don't know. He's not a nuanced route runner, so that is a question. I think there are questions about his hands. I don't really have them because I've seen him go up and win yes. in one-on-one situations. At the end of the day, it comes down to this for me. With that profile and that ability, ability vertically – He's a round one player. Yes. He's a round one player. In a class that at wide receiver was looking for one. There was a lot of athletes from the wide receiver position. I just look at DK Metcalf. Like, seven receivers ran under 4-4 at this combine, and that's as many as the last three combines combined. Yeah, So that just shows you the upper level of speed. But DK Metcalf, to me, as soon as he ran, I went... There's, he's going in the top 15. He's going in the top 10. We've just seen this so many times. Brashad Perryman ran that crazy 40 going in the top 2015. Yeah, and he couldn't catch. Kevin White, you know, he ran. Uh, that 40 was mesmerizing because he was so big. And I feel like DK has even been more mesmerizing than him. I'm going to have some left go PR for what DK Metcalf should do now. But. It just felt like all the Darius Hayward base. It felt like the one guy did the one thing, and now we're going to overdraft him. And I just felt like all of the draft community was like, nah, we've had him at end of the first, early second the whole time. And I think when you look at it, well, nobody believed the rumors of the 4-3. And then he goes out and does it. So it's like, okay, we're all in on this now. And there's a lot of things to unpack here. Like, this guy isn't out of nowhere. This guy was a top recruit, and he flashed early at Ole Miss. And then this year, a lot of people were like, well, why wasn't he the leading receiver? And it's like, well, he was, and then he got hurt. Mm. At the time, he was ahead of guys like A.J. Brown and Demarcus Lodge, two wide receivers on that team that are going to be drafted. Yeah, I mean, Brown's going to go top 50. Lodge will be at least, you know, under the fifth round kind of pick. So he was in an offense with tons of talent. And he still was the guy. He got hurt. Right. That's that's the question here that teams need to answer. It Can he stay healthy over a long period of time? When you're that muscled up, he doesn't have 1.6% body fat. You, yes. You would die. But Yeah, and you did, you've did. you done bodybuilding. So yeah, you power, know yep. the realistic mar- parts of yeah, body fat. Like the best bodybuilders in the world like stay between like 3 to 6%. Mm. So it, it's Damn. fun because he looks like a bodybuilder, but yes. he's not really at 1.6%. Um, so obviously you guys on Stick to Football will break down every nuance of the combine. What was the buzz about the quarterbacks after they all performed I, in Indy? I think, well, it's a shame that Kyler didn't do anything, but he didn't really have to. I mean, he came in and he weighed at 207. He measured in over 5'10". Right. Uh, they really stretched him out, it seems like. Really? So, yeah. They, I mean, they really do that kind of stuff. Like two days beforehand, they're just pulling him. Yeah, like I'm, Miller was telling me, like hanging him upside down, like craziest things. I don't know if wow. any of that, how like legit any of that is. I love that. Either way, there are methods to the madness, but great for Kyler without even having to throw. Um, you look at guys like Haskins and Locke, like 
the arm talents there. Yeah. Tyree Jackson from Buffalo now is, you know, he's with Jordan Palmer, which if you're with Jordan, that's a good sign in yes. general. He's someone that I think a lot of people were looking at, hey, sixth, seventh round. It's probably more third or fourth round. So It's hard to pass up that athleticism. Exactly. Six, that's, seven, yeah. 250, strong arm. So when you look at this, it, it still feels like a class to me where Kyler, Haskins, and Locke are going in the first round. Mm. And, and if a Daniel Jones slips in from Duke, then we get the fourth. Yeah, it's hard to get excited about yeah, him. Or Jared Stitt. Like if, if, they'll talk if they get overdrafted. Yeah. Without a doubt. They'll talk the top fifty kind of picks. So are you and Miller in agreement on how you guys stack your top three? I don't think so. Who what how I do think you stack we, yours? I think we both agree that Kyler Murray is probably the best quarterback in this right. class. I like Dwayne Haskins a lot more than him. Than and Kyler. I, oh no, no, no. No, than Miller, Miller does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do like Dwayne Haskins. I, I can justify The ball jumps out of his Without hands. a doubt. He's just a thrower. I mean, he's a big pocket passer. But he's that, accurate too. Very accurate. In the intermediate throws too. Yeah, that's what like, I mean. That's he is what you want your quarterback to be at the next level. You don't need to see him because people are like, Oh, well, I would like to see him challenge vertically more. Your uh, your boy, uh former GM of the Jets, Scott McLuhan, was he the GM of the Jets? Or no, the Washington, yeah, Washington. He was and the Niners and Seahawks yeah, he was but with. But he came out and said that he that Dwayne Haskins is Byron Leftwich to a T. And I thought, okay, well, does Dwayne Haskins have an elongated motion? I think the ball jumps out of his hand. Because I'm watching the combine on Saturday or Friday, whenever he throw, and I'm listening to Daniel Jeremiah talk about how quickly he gets the ball out of yeah, his hand. Yeah, I don't agree with that and at I all. Said, I said, if you want to talk about mobility and the fact that he's black, sure. But I look at it more as he was getting the ball so quickly out of his hands that yeah. that's that's the advantage yeah, in the next system. The release isn't even on my list of things to worry about. Right. I mean... I look at Drew Locke and I see the athleticism, I see the mobility, I see the arm strength, but with Haskins, I see that pinpoint accuracy, and it it comes out a lot faster out of Haskins' hand, in my mind, than it does Locke's hand. And just mechanically, they're on two different planets. When do we get miles per hour? When do we get that? Doesn't that come out a a few days after the combine? Yeah, it leaks out. Yeah. Because it's like not supposed to. Remember or... Mahomes came out and it was like 60 yeah, something. Yeah, it was, was insanely like, fast. Crap. And then people were like, Watson is below the threshold. Right, and I right, think Deshaun right. Watson's doing just fine. I think so too. So, uh, Which, what what is a narrative that you're seeing in the media right now after Combine that you're going, damn it, that's wrong? Is there anything right now that you're seeing? Oh, that's interesting. Because uh, you guys have been studying this all year long. Yep. And I'm curious, like there's a lot of people like me that are making snap decisions. Like, what are you seeing right now? I, I think Montez Sweat had an awesome combine. I'm so happy but, you brought him up. But I don't think he's somebody that was never out of the first round. Like, people were... And now there's conversation of him being a top 10 lock. I don't even agree with that because the film is the film. He still looks a little upright and stiff on the film for right. a really productive guy. And, and I think people get so caught up. You know what it is for me in general is that now there's 90 first rounders. And at the end of the day, everything settles down and comes back to yeah. reality, and yeah. they're 32. So I think the combine hype with that is always going to be out of control. I think Brian Burns and Montez Sweat were always in the first round. Gotcha. They, this was just I haven't seen Montez Sweat being mocked up. By the way, he was the guy that ran the 4 4 40 yeah, as 260. 260. Which is incredible. And then I think when it comes down to it, oh, I mean, one that is just – Everybody in the scouting world was convinced Ed Oliver was 265 pounds. He's 287, and he's six foot two. 
That's such a monster difference. Ed Oliver is your hill on this draft. Uh, I can already feel it. 100%. Ed Oliver was the presumed top pick in the draft last year's draft, and then he fell off, seeing as how he was undersized and all that. But 287, you're making moves. That, and it's when it comes down to it, people are like, well, he didn't have a lot of sacks this year. It's like, well, if you watch the games, they they roll away from him. They run away from him. They double and triple him. Navy uh, uh, just cut his knees every Mm. play. Like, at some point, it is out of your control. It's, right. Ed Oliver, this is going to sound really extreme, but at times, was like, you know nobody threw Darrell, near Darrell yes. Davis for years? Teams stayed away from Ed Oliver because mm. you're playing Houston. He's a guy that I, I look at all the time. I feel like people are putting Ed Oliver and uh, the pass rusher from Michigan in the same category. Yeah, Rashawn, Rashawn Gary, Gary, and it's not even close. And I, and I don't feel like they're the same. Everyone, I feel like the scouting world said, get ready for Rashawn Gary to blow you all away, but realize he has no production. And Ed Oliver was like, he has all this production, but I feel like they're being put in the same group somehow. They are. And another guy in that group, this one bothers me the most, is Cleveland Farrell. Because everybody's like, well, Clemson. Yeah, yeah, he's won two championships. He's been productive pass rusher, great run defender, you know, the leader you want, like character checks out. One of the best interviews for every team. And when it comes down to it, everyone's like, but he's just not athletic. And then him and Rashawn Gary, who's this athletic freak, they have the same three cone. And for pass rushers, that's that's the drill. Yeah. That is the one. So you're sitting there and you're saying, well, why was this a narrative for seven months mm. when they just had the same three cone? What does Rashawn Gary do better than Cleveland Farrell? But all we hear about is Rashawn Gary in the top eight and Cleveland Farrell. Oh, you know, nice, safe, middle of the first-round player. My curiosity, stemming back to the discussion about Arizona, and I talked about this earlier just in terms of what would you rather have? Would you rather have Josh Rosen and Nick Bosa or Josh Rosen and Quinnen Williams, whoever you're more interested in, or Kyler Murray and then, like, a defensive lineman that you get either at the end of the first round or the top of the second? Like, which would you rather have? Oh, I'd rather have Nick Bosa and Josh Rosen. Mm. But the issue all stems back to they hired Cliff Kingsbury. And if you're bold enough to hire someone that was let go from a Big 12 team, and then you hire him as an NFL head coach, and I'm a Cliff, like, truther. I love Cliff Kingsbury. I actually really think it was a good hire. You probably got to listen to what he wants to do at quarterback. I feel like you have to. There's, there's All no the way. front office's contracts are now locked up with Cliff Kingsbury. Yeah. So if this doesn't work, it's over. And that that's really what it comes down to is even if Nick Bosa ends up being, you know, a 12-sack guy in his yeah. rookie year with Chandler Jones, the defense takes strides, but Rosen isn't performing that well, and Kingsbury goes, I can't run my offense, you have to kind of let him fail. Without, you have to give him the piece. And, and I just I can't bet against Kyler Murray with Cliff Kingsbury. Like, they will score points. I don't know what the rest of the team is going to look like. I don't know how the defense is going to function. Yes. That is an offense that no matter what, they're going to score points. It so. really is everywhere that the Cardinals are drafting him number one. Mel Kuyper is saying it. He's apparently going around town and saying it. Yeah, everybody's convinced that this is happening now. And now we're at the stage of, like, Josh Rosen's getting traded before free agency. Yeah. So And not for a first-round pick. Which is an awful return. If you're Steve Kahn, this is like the battle of you know conflict of interest. Cliff's coming in and going, okay, cool, I have the number one pick. I can do whatever I want. I've wanted Kyler Murray since he was in high school. Yeah. Now I get him in the NFL. Awesome. If you're Steve Kahn, you just traded up for Josh Rosen last year. And now your return on investment is like a loss of a, by a couple of rounds. Like you went up to 10 to get him. Yeah. Then in a year, you're trading him for what, a second or a third round pick. 
it's you better start winning fast mm. because then everything gets pointed back to you. Why is no one talking about Quinn and Williams as maybe the top pick? This is a guy that ran what did he run the forty? Like a four eight. Oh yeah, something? even even yeah, at his size too, it's just tremendous. And his he had a ten yard split his, of a one six nine, which is elite for his which size. is better than Geno Atkins and Dominican Sue, Gerald McCoy, Marcel Darius, JJ Watt, and Cam Jordan. An elite athlete, and what's scary is he's not even close to growing into his body. So why is it? Why am I always hearing Nick Bosa and not Quinn and Williams? I, I think that's the value other than of, Nick Bosa's quads, which were gorgeous. They're incredible. It's the value of the edge pass rusher. It really is. I think I, that's crazy. Yeah, because if. If you were to ask me right now, who would I rather have, Fletcher Cox or Von Miller? I'd tell you Fletcher Cox. Okay, I'm like, a I'm a sucker though for the Edge guys. Totally get it. It's got but, a cool name. Everyone's calling it Edge now. Yeah, no, you know? yeah, it's a, I, I it's totally a hybrid get it. looking position. Uh, would you Would you rather have Aaron Donald or I know Aaron Donald special, but Aaron yeah. Donald or Khalil Mack? I'd rather have. I just think that just the way the game has been going, the interior pass rusher. Is, is impactful on every single play. And I feel like the edge, it's sexier. The numbers are great. But I'd rather I'd rather have Fletcher Cox than Demarcus Lawrence. Yeah. You know, I, I think I at the just... end of the day, it's it really probably comes down to need here. And this is the problem with it. So say Kyler's going one. This is what we have to keep doing. Yes. The Niners have drafted how many? For the hybrid... Niners, they cannot draft Quinn and Williams. There you go. Totally understand. So that's why. I just meant overall. Yeah. Like if oh, I'm... there's a lot of people that believe Quinn and Williams is the best player in this draft. Okay, good. And I understand it. Yeah, I the ha- Niners have drafted the same guy for three years in a row. They yeah. need to go in. I have it Bosa, Oliver, Quinnen, one, two, and three, and they probably all get the same grade. Mm. But I, that's how I stacked it because I'm, once again, a sucker for the edge pass yeah, rusher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, there's something to say when you're Nick Bosa where he's been elite at every level. And since he was a freshman at Ohio State, he was productive. Sure. I think that does mean something. Sure. I think when you're from a family that's first round on both sides, yeah. like the uncle and his dad are first it's rounders, insane. his brother. It's like, okay, I just feel like the fail right here is is not. But not you a know thing. what's funny? We talk about that with Nick Bosa, but you know who we don't talk about that with? DK freaking Metcalf. Yeah. His uncle is Eric I Metcalf. I know. If people don't know, Eric Metcalf, I would say before we saw D'Angelo Hall, before we saw um, the kid on uh, Devin Hester, Eric Metcalf and Brian Mitchell were like the two greatest punt returners in the history of the sport. Not only that, he has family that played defensive line in the NFL. Oh, he's got NFL bloodlines. And, re- yet, not... and yet we talk about it with Nick Bosa, but that's a huge selling point yeah, for DK Yeah, I think Metcalf. it's a recency thing. Like everyone knows. Joey, right? right like right. I don't know how much people really care about Nick Bosa's dad or uncle that Man. are current NFL fans. But if DK age. Metcalf is the creation of former defensive lineman <laughs> yeah. and Eric Metcalf, that's why he's got one point six percent body fight. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, Noah Fant, TJ Hawkinson, yep, two tight ends from Iowa that I think caught my attention. Just how fast they were, but also the way their bodies work. Like if the Patriots traded up and got Hawkinson. I would not be surprised. And that was their next Gronk for the next 10 it's perfect. years. But Noah Fant, I'm going, man, you're Trey Burton with size. You know, you're the speed and the agility yep. and all that stuff. How early could these two tight ends from the same school go? I think Hawkinson is officially in the top 20 range. Okay. I, I mean, I've seen so them all So we're not talking the- top 10. I, it's it would just, be hard for them it's to It's tough. It's, like, remember how much everyone loved O.J. Howard? 
Yes. I mean, loved him. Yes. And then he goes 16. Right. And it's like, oh, we've been talking about him in the top eight for five months. So with Hawkinson, who is like a late riser, because no one thought he'd declare. Okay. It's it's really a position. That, like, is he a top 10 He's a better blocker than O.J. Howard. Yes. Right. Yes. No, he doesn't have the top end. I think O.J. had a little more up the seam. Right, right, right. So I just think in this world, if you were to ask me today, would you like a premier wide receiver or a premier tight end? I think the gap has closed. Just in terms of like your ability yeah. with the, the, the play action going up as much as it had this year, the versatility. I don't know. I think that gap is starting to close. I can make an argument that no offense is the best weapon. In this right. draft. That's what I'm saying. I, I think because it's one of those situations where he gets labeled as a tight end. But, I mean, he's he's more like, and this happened to Evan Ingram. Right. They're big wide receivers. And they both block with a lot of attitude. Like, that's right. the thing that doesn't matter. Like, you look at him and go, oh, well, he's undersized. It's like, no, no, he throws his body around. And then like, you have the recency bias of George Kittle breaking, like, all tight end records and yes. having gone to Iowa. Yeah. So everyone loves the Iowa tight end. Right. And as they should. As they should. For, right now, it seems Hawkinson top 20. Fant is more top 35 kind of range. He might be the guy when we're sitting there on day two and everyone's trading up for him at pick 33, 34, 35. Mm. All right, so. let me ask you your own pick then. So you would say right now the draft world is looking at Kyler 1 to the Cardinals, yep. Bosa 2 to the Niners, and then the first pick of the draft is starting with 3. Yeah. Who do you believe the Jets would take at that point, Mr. You, Jet? You call Everybody you possibly can and get out of the so, pick. But if you don't, if you're saying if you so can't. So that's my number one rule okay, in cool. talking about the draft from now on is every team in the NFL is trying to trade down and take picks. But if you had to take the pick, who would you take? Who would I take or who would they take? Both. Okay. That's, wow. It's pretty so tricky. So who would you take? I would really think about taking Devin White. Really? I really would. LSU. Which people are going to sit there and go, you're insane. It's For me, if they were running a 4-3 with Greg Williams, the pick for me was Cleveland Farrell because he's the perfect 4-3 defensive end that they need. They're telling everybody that I'll listen, they're sticking with a 3-4, and he just doesn't – he's not going to stand up. He's right. Not, so, you know, on value-wise, I would like Cleveland Farrell there. It's just not a, it's not a fit. I can make the argument for Quentin Williams or Ed Oliver – but everybody's like, oh, that's the one area they don't need help. Right. So if yeah, because who who would be the edge guy there? Everyone says Josh Allen. I, it's just a little early for me. Okay. It's a little yeah, early because that's me. what I'm seeing in a ton of yeah. Mocks. He he's in the 15 to 20 range caliber player for me. Every year we hear about there's a certain amount of guys that they're the upper level guys. Like I felt like last year there was like the top seven. Yep. How? What do you think the top is right now? Like name those guys. Nick Bosa. Okay. That just based on picks, right? Based not grades. on overall ratings. Like okay. Overall, like who? What's the upper level? When does it stop? It's Nick Bosa, Quinton Williams. I think Ed Oliver's still in that conversation. Okay. Devin White. Okay. Linebacker. Def- so three down linemen, one linebacker so yep. far. It, it gets tricky. I mean, I do think teams value Kyler Murray that highly. Okay. So he's point. in the top five. Yeah, I really do. You do you think Haskins is in the top five? Or like the top no. level? No. Okay. I Any don't. running backs? No, it'll be. I've between- seen Josh Jacobs in a lot of spots. Yeah, I think it's a little inflated right now. I think Josh Jacobs is in that twenty to thirty range. Wide receivers, maybe Metcalf gets there. Okay, I, I think so. He's, he's a fringe elite guy. He's a fringe elite guy. I still think he's in the tier two. Anyone else? That Notre Dame kid that ran like a goose. Yeah, I just I, I think those are really a little the, far off. It's kind of the blue. Greedy was in the conversation for so long, and I was going to say the cornerback Greedy Williams LSU yeah, was he in that and upper then level? Everybody cooled on him, and then he goes and runs sub four four today, and it's like okay, well our concern was turning and running, and I don't think that's an issue right so now. So Greedy is probably in there. He's probably in there. Any safeties? No. 
linebacker, you already said, is it both Devons or just the one white? Uh, I, I think they both Michigan. should be. I think everyone will tell you Bush is tier two. And then the defensive lineman, you said there's like three. Yeah. Incl- you, when you have, I mean, Quinn and Williams and Ed Oliver right there. Or Jeffrey Simmons was okay. in there. He tore his ACL training. Damn. So, but he was in there. What about offensive linemen? Are any of them in the yeah, top? Yeah, Juwan Taylor from Florida has really found his way into that conversation along with Jonah Williams. Gotcha. So you would say right now that uh, the, the elite of the elite of the elite of the draft, when it seems to fall off, Kyler Murray, possibly Metcalf, but he's a fringe he's guy. He's fringe, yep. Williams and the kid from Florida on the offensive line. What's his name again? Juwan Taylor. Would you put the tight ends in there? I would definitely I'd put Hawkinson in there. Okay, so maybe a Hawkinson. So Hawkinson and Metcalf are fringe. Yep. D Lyman, there's three. Bosa, Quinnen, and Ed Oliver. Linebackers, there's one. I would put Fant in there with them. You would put Fant. It's just a positional value thing, but I, I think Hawkinson and Fant are fantastic. White as a linebacker, yep. Greedy Williams as a corner, yep. and that's it. Yeah, I think if Byron Murphy tested a little better, it would have answered for the size concerns, but he's the classic of fantastic corner, adds weight for the combine, right. and you're like, damn, I, th- I thought he was a little quicker than so that. So you have 11. I just counted. Yeah. There's 11, but there's three guys that are maybes. And that's I, Cleland, the two Farrell, t- Cleland Farrell should be in that conversation. Okay, so 12, but the, the two tight ends and the wide end Metcalf are the maybes. Yeah. And you're sitting there at three. Yep. And it's, I guess, Greedy Williams is what the Jets now, need, and maybe a Pat no, edge rusher. I, I think they would take Jonah Williams because mm. they have no center right now, and everyone thinks he could be an all-star center. And then when Beecham's contract runs out, you move him to left tackle. You guys do need a line. Okay, that makes sense. So, All right, so can I run? Oh, one more thing. We had a, uh, one of our guys, the kid in the Saints fan that was there uh, for our show. He told me a while ago, he goes, mark my words, the wide receiver that's going to be the best in the NFL is Hakeem Butler. Okay. And, he, and, and 6'5", 227. Fantastic combine. 4'4", 18 bench, 36 vert. Um, what do you think of this kid? I just, my, my Saints fan gave me the nugget. And yeah. Now he's, he's Iowa State. Yes. Okay. Well, I got to see him this year. I went to TCU, Iowa State, um, and he did not have a good game. He had two catches for like 12 yards, yeah. of course, and I was excited to see him and Dave Montgomery. I think it's another guy where there's some separation questions, but at the end of the day, when you're that big, it doesn't oh, matter fair. all the time. And I think on boards right now, he's early second round, mid-second round. I don't think he'll be a first-round player just because it, he's. you almost want to use him like that seem tight end at times where you look at him like let's not ask him to always win on the outside let's just find a way to get him the ball over the middle of the field and in the red zone and he's fun after the catch for okay. such a big guy like you could would see you him. take him or Cortland Sutton from last Cortland year Cortland Sutton I loved him okay yeah he's a baller I just thought he was more of a receiver at the time coming out all right, so I have uh, some left-go PR okay, let's hear it. for a lot of the guys that performed great at the Combine. It's easy for left-go PR to do the guys that didn't do great and go, hey, show yourself working out, you know, show yourself doing better times. Mm-mm. My advice, my left-go PR for Kyler Murray, everything he involves himself with should be small. His shirts should be too small. His pants should be too small. Make your limbs look bigger. Perception. He should hold small golf pencils all the time and those little baby cans of Coke and take pictures with that. Everyone's going to be like, yo, his, what's up with his hands? It'll go viral, and everyone will be like, maybe he's bigger than we thought he was. That's my left go okay. for Kyler Murray. Okay. I think it'll work. 
I think the picture of him and Josh Rosen from 2015. Oh, my God. You can't wear pants <laughs> like that, Kyler. Uh, what are those? Those look like Jenkos. That's exactly Legitimate what they are. Legitimate Jenkos. Here is my Lefko PR for DK Metcalf. Everyone's talking about your 1.6% body fat. This is an idea for perception and for product. Don't ever wear a shirt. Go to IHOP and take a picture in front of like the all-you-can-eat pancakes with the caption, looking to build up on that 1.6%. That will spread, guarantee, but also maybe you lock up an endorsement deal with IHOP. Kind of how like Cal- like Chad Johnson got a lot of agreements with McDonald's. Be the one restaurant that fills him up, and I gotta I gotta be more healthy. I gotta. He's the only guy that needs more body fat. And, and it's great perception for IHOP because then people think of jacked TK Metcalf when they exactly sit with ten pancakes in front. So of So I want three percent of that deal. Now I got one for Montez Sweat. Okay, Montez Sweat, just go volunteer at a hospital. And get the local news crew there. Because what I'm thinking is, is this is a guy that blew up on the combine, and now all of a sudden teams are going, is he going to be our first uh, first round representative? And then all of a sudden he shows up and they go, wow, he's, he's good he's in the a community. Great guy. Yeah. He's a great guy. He could be the face of our draft class. You just got to show that you're the number one guy. And I feel like that's one of those like subversive, subversive yeah, inception. It makes people feel good about the player. Andy Isabella. <sighs> This was, is this one I wasn't expecting. This is the white guy from UMass yeah. that ran a four two seven. He could fly. Uh I four pretty, three. So this is but what, he was a hand time. Did you at a see what happened with his times? No. He was clocked unofficially at four five two, and everyone's like, "Oh my, this is horrible!" Like he's been telling us sub four four, and then it yeah. was in the four threes. How does that happen? I don't. That's terrible, though. It happened twice to him. Charlie Casserly just yeah. sitting over there <laughs> yawning. Yeah. Uh, I believe that Andy Isabella. Should do a um, what did Kyrie do? Where he dressed up like the old guy? Yeah, 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 Uncle Drew. Uncle Drew. He should do an Uncle Drew on a track, but he doesn't need to dress up. He should just do the white man can't jump, but it idea. should be white man can't run. So he should just walk out there and go. You got y'all trying to race, and then just burn people. He needs to be wearing like jorts though and yes like and a tie-dye shirt yeah yeah, yeah yeah and he goes out there and just burns people yeah or he goes out there and he goes to an atlanta braves game and he races the freeze or whatever that dude's that's name is. the money idea and just smoke or he does the freeze to the freeze and then pulls Gives- like takes off the mask or whatever it yes. is and reveals it's him yes andy isabella needs to lean into this i think it's i like perfect. that a lot yeah and my last one is for I think your favorite player in this draft, I think your your two favorite players are Devin White yes. and Ed Oliver. That's correct. Those are your two favorite. I think so. I just need to know where everyone's biases are so yeah. that I know. Oh, I'm extremely biased with that. No, hold on. Everyone's biased. Yes. Like, my DK Metcalf bias like is I'm, I'm overrating the both of them. And that's okay. Yes. That's just good for us to know. My Lefko PR for Ed Oliver is to do combine workouts on the farm. So Ed Oliver came out and said that he has so four country. horses, and he used to own a horse named Oreo who helped him become fearless. Quote, I'm able to go up and play against 6'5", 300 guys. It's a walk in the park. I was fighting with a 1,000-pound animal. I'm not worried about 300 pounds. So what do I need from Ed Oliver? Instead of flipping a tire, I need you to flip the hay bale. I need to see him going toe-to-toe with Oreo. I need to see him. I want to see... I want to see a horse that looks like it's trying to pull a truck with all its might. But as you zoom out, 
he's pulling against Ed Oliver, and Ed Oliver's pulling him back. It's, per- it's perfect for him. He's first the most the country player in this. And he, I love how, like, he's so authentic to yes. who he is. Like, this is somebody from Houston that was like, I'm going to stay in Houston. Like, he literally right. said, I'm loyal to the soil. I want a loyal to the soil. I like that. I want it to be like the Rocky Four montage when he's in, like, the, the barn. Yep. And he's just like, I love the tiger. I want Ed Oliver dressed in overalls and like yeah. crappy shoes. A straw hat, maybe? Yeah. Okay. Just sledgehammering so, a barn door. Now, how do you do this when Devin White actually owns like six horses? Oh. So can you do something for Devin White with Perfect. horses? Perfect. This is what I'm doing with Devin White. Left go PR. He's more based in speed. 4-4 four, yep. four guy. I want to see him running along the rail next to a horse. And then that way we get the Instagram, holy crap, Devin White is faster than a horse. Or the check down comes with some like, what's the horsepower of Devin yeah. White? But <laughs> that's pretty good. if you're faster than a horse, you know what? Go to Lexington. Go to Keeneland. Yep. Get into a starting game. And race a horse. I mean, I'm giving this out for free. It's really good. I really want to come back and have you do the guys that had bad weekends and like maybe I'll do that next. Save them. All right. So you have a what? What do you guys got going on for stick to football this week? So we're gonna do more. So we recorded our show halfway through the combine because of the release time, and then we did mention like the DK thing and all that stuff. But now you have all these defensive ends that just went absolutely insane on Sunday. So we'll finish all that up Wednesday. Uh, a ton of rumors because free agency and franchise tag deadline stuff. Mm. So we'll recap all that. I don't think we're going to have any surprises with the franchise tag. I mean, it's pretty obvious. The only two guys that are up in the air right now are CJ Mosley with the Ravens and Landon Collins with the Giants. The other ones are very obvious. So recap all that. We'll have Miller here in studio next week. Yes, and we are going to do yeah. a super joint pod yep. next Wednesday. For us, it'll come out Thursday, where I think I'm going to be half GM okay. and listening to you guys go up and back on, on possible prospects, but also... I don't think we're there yet. I I still feel like the mocks are starting to be formulated. More of, I just want to get downloaded from you guys. Who am I paying attention to? Where are the cutoff lines at every major position group? You're going to love this year, I'm just going to milk you guys. I mean, me and him are just more different than ever this year, I think. In a really good way. I mean, we're both Devin White, like, you know, stands or whatever you want to call it, but... A lot of difference of opinion there. So you have a lot of you just have two scouts bickering at you, and you pick the decision. Nick, I don't know if you got it queued up, but if you want to give me that funky music, I would appreciate it because Connor has wrapped this up so darn beautifully. According to Connor, it looks like right now Kyler will be the first pick in the draft. Corner of the world right now as well. And by the way, this is my new theme song. It's it's absolutely amazing, hey. and I've heard rumors it's custom. It is custom. Yeah, don't forget that. Rod Simba and the Regulators. Ugh. Oh, my God. It's just. Guys, you are the best. Homies, you are awesome. Hit me up on social as always. We will holla at you later. Holla, 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 holla. For Connor Rogers, I am the L-E-F-K-O-E. Left go, man. Hey, I'll take it. Thanks, (laughs) dude. See you guys. Be well.